Welcome to the Bioethics Podcast, a project of the Center for Bioethics and Human Dignity at Trinity International University. I'm Matthew Epinet, Executive Director of the Center. You may recall that in the February 17 episode of the Bioethics Podcast, we looked at five ethical considerations regarding the current COVID-19 vaccines. This information was from an article posted on our website entitled Coronavirus Vaccine Ethics. In this episode, we look at an additional question that has arisen, namely, are adenovirus vaccines such as Johnson & Johnson's ethical and safe? This update and the original article were written by CBHD research analyst Heather Zeiger. The full article, with this new edition, is posted prominently on the cbhd.org homepage. Here is, are adenovirus vaccines such as Johnson & Johnson's ethical and safe? An update to Coronavirus Vaccine Ethics by Heather Zeiger, MSMA. Read for us today by CBHD Event and Executive Services Manager, Brian Just. Are adenovirus vaccines, such as Johnson & Johnson's, ethical and safe? The Johnson & Johnson vaccine is an adenovirus-based vaccine that has been granted an emergency use authorization by the U.S. FDA. In the U.S., it showed 72% efficacy. In Latin America, it showed 61% efficacy. And in South Africa, it showed 64% efficacy. The differences in efficacy are likely because of differences in the prominent viral strains in the respective countries. Notably, when looking at the incidences of severe cases of COVID-19, the Johnson & Johnson vaccine showed 85% efficacy in all regions, meaning the clinical trial group that received the vaccine was 85% less likely to get severe COVID-19 compared to the control group. No deaths were reported in the trial group that had taken the vaccine. Researchers caution against comparing Johnson & Johnson's efficacy numbers with Moderna and Pfizer because the Johnson & Johnson clinical trial had different goals than the Moderna and Pfizer trials. Also, these vaccines were tested at different points in the pandemic when different viral strains were prominent. The Johnson & Johnson vaccine was developed in the company's Belgium lab, Janssen. Janssen has a proprietary method for vaccine development that they used to develop an Ebola vaccine. Janssen is working on vaccines for HIV, RSV, and Zika using the same proprietary technique. Their technique involves the use of adenovirus 26 and human fetal cell line PERC6. Just as coronavirus describes a general class of viruses, Adenovirus describes a different class of viruses. Some colds are adenoviruses, and adenoviruses can cause flu-like symptoms. The Johnson & Johnson vaccine uses the adenovirus to carry a segment of DNA from the SARS-CoV-2 virus that codes for the spike protein. Once the vaccine is injected, the adenovirus transports the DNA segment to the nucleus of a muscle cell where a protein unzips the DNA, converting it to mRNA. This mRNA leaves the cell's nucleus and enters the cytoplasm, where the cell's machinery translates the mRNA into an amino acid sequence that forms the spike protein. This causes the body to respond by producing antibodies that will target the spike proteins on the SARS-CoV-2 virus. This means when the body encounters SARS-CoV-2 in real life, it will know how to fight the virus, inhibiting it from replicating in the body. Like the mRNA vaccines, Johnson & Johnson draws on research from SARS-CoV, the original 2002-3 SARS coronavirus. Johnson & Johnson's vaccine has a couple of advantages to other COVID-19 vaccines. For one, it requires a single dose, 
rather than the two-dose regimen that Pfizer, Moderna, and AstraZeneca require. This can help with distribution, particularly in populations where it may be difficult to administer a second dose. Additionally, the Johnson & Johnson vaccine can be stored for up to three months at standard refrigeration temperatures, 36 to 46 degrees Fahrenheit or 2 to 8 degrees Celsius, or for two years in a freezer, negative 4 degrees Fahrenheit or negative 20 degrees Celsius. This means the Johnson & Johnson vaccine does not have the cold chain problem that Moderna and Pfizer do, potentially making it a better candidate for global distribution. One potential downside to the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, and any adenovirus-based vaccine, is some people may have immunity to the adenovirus carrier, also called a vector. If this happens, the immune system attacks the deactivated adenovirus carrier, which inhibits the adenovirus from delivering the DNA that codes for the spike protein in SARS-CoV-2. The Chinese vaccine developed by CanSynBio and the Russian vaccine from Gamalea both use an adenovirus strain called AD5. Because this strain is more common in the wild, there is a high probability that many people will be immune to it. The Russian vaccine uses a combination of AD5 and a less common adenovirus strain in hopes of overcoming the potential pitfalls of immunity. The Johnson & Johnson vaccine uses AD26, which is a less common adenovirus in the wild, and therefore people are less likely to be immune to this vaccine. AstraZeneca uses an adenovirus carrier derived from a chimpanzee in hopes of avoiding any kind of immunity to human adenoviruses. Although Johnson & Johnson is highly effective as one dose, in November the company announced a second Phase three trial to test the efficacy of two doses. The company also launched a trial for pregnant women. As far as safety is concerned, Johnson & Johnson has shown a similar safety profile as Moderna and Pfizer. One of the ethical issues surrounding the Johnson & Johnson vaccine is the use of an immortal cell line that was originally derived from an aborted fetus. Every vaccine, once it is developed, is tested on immortal cell lines to confirm that it works. Usually, these are tested on the HEK293 cell line. The difference with the adenovirus vaccines is a human fetal cell line is used throughout the vaccine production process, not just as a trial once the vaccine is developed. The PERC6 cell line is a human embryonic retinal cell line that originally came from the retinal tissue of an 18-week-old fetus that was aborted in 1985. Some see the use of immortal cell lines derived from an aborted fetus as ethically problematic, particularly since there are other options available. Others do not see this as ethically problematic because vaccine development does not involve resupplying the cell lines through recent abortions, and the cells themselves are not the original cells obtained from fetal tissue. For more on the use of immortal cell lines derived from aborted fetuses, we refer you to a previous episode, Coronavirus Vaccine Ethics. That was our adenovirus vaccines such as Johnson & Johnson's Ethical and Safe, an update to Coronavirus Vaccine Ethics by Heather Zeiger, MSMA. Our reader for this episode was CBHD Event and Executive Services Manager Brian Just. The online version of this article is prominently linked on the cbhd.org homepage, and we'll continue to update the article as needed. You've been listening to the Bioethics Podcast, a project of the Center for Bioethics and Human Dignity, copyright 2021, all rights reserved. The Center for Bioethics and Human Dignity is a Christian bioethics research center at Trinity International University, exploring the nexus of biomedicine, biotechnology, and our common humanity. Our website, cbhd.org, 
has a wealth of material on a wide range of bioethical issues. For more information about the Center and to support the work of the Center and projects like this podcast, please visit our website, cbhd.org. All post-production for the Bioethics Podcast is done by CBHD Communications and Marketing Manager, Annalise Troll. My name is Matthew Epinette, and I'm the Executive Director of the Center for Bioethics and Human Dignity. Thank you for listening to the Bioethics Podcast.